Let us pray. Father, as we approach your word today, we pray that it would be with joyful, receptive hearts. We pray that you would soften us even now by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would make us to be teachable, receptive to that which you intend for us today through your word. Lord, we pray that you would have your way with us, that you would set aside in our own minds those things that would distract us, that would remove us from this place, Father, even mentally. Lord God, as we worship you, as we submit ourselves to you and worship, as we bow at your feet, Lord, we love you, praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. It seemed fitting with the new year that we consider the new life. And the new life in Christ, the new creation. The passage read in your hearing in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians is only one really installment, as it were, to this idea of the new life in Christ. We sang this morning about creation, about creation singing, about God's making of nothing, everything that was created and that that creation sings in proclamation of the glory and the goodness of God. It's hard to sometimes contain myself when I think of this new life in Christ, not to press on to the implications of the new life in Christ, but I'm going to try my very best this morning to hold to the simple idea of this new life in Christ. I think it's very fitting because if you're like me, you might uh, need to be encouraged about the excitement that should attend to the subject of the new creation that Christ has brought about in your life by way of redemption. And uh, this Corinthians passage was really an introduction I'd like to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, my focus this morning, Lord willing, would be on this primarily one verse, verse 24, Ephesians 4, 24. Focusing on this new creation life as we will, Lord willing, consider this putting the old self to death and living out the new self in Christ in subsequent weeks. So, of course, the corollary to this new life in Christ is putting to death the old self and working, that is, on the new self in Christ. But that's for another time. At the point of the verse in Verse 24 in chapter 4, the apostle has already laid out uh, three chapters regarding doctrine. And this is uh, no surprise for the apostle Paul. He, he uh, begins with doctrine, moves to duty. That's pretty much his standard way of doing things as the Holy Spirit has superintended his work. And so in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, the apostle Paul is laying out for us uh, the doctrinal basis for this life that is the result of that in, verse, in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And in verse 22, he's already addressed putting off the old self. And he's mentioned why. We could look at verse 22 briefly. 
well, let's back up actually to verse 20. Ephesians 4.20. Regarding the Gentiles, he now compares uh, the, the life without Christ to the life with Christ. And in verse 20 he says, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In verse 22, as I mentioned, he's already addressed pulling off, putting off the old self, and he's mentioned why. Well, the old self is corrupt. It's, it's growing in corruption, as a matter of fact. That's its only option through deceit, deceitful desires. That's the old self. That's churning away, unfortunately. And there is but one thing that we're called to do with the old self. And it isn't reform it. It's not to renew it. It's not to rejuvenate. It's to put to death the old self. Death to the old self. And life to the new self. Upon regeneration, being given new life in Christ, we have the ability, because of the new creation brought about in us, to put to death the old self and be who we are. Those of us who are redeemed, the Apostle Paul is calling us to be who we are. The Scripture, of course, has many occasions upon the exhortation of those who are lost to be saved, to turn to Christ, to walk with the Lord, to repent of their sins. That is not this verse. This verse is not an exhortation to new life in Christ. It's a revelation of what the new life in Christ is. It's a new creation. It's a new creation. This new man spoken of in Colossians 3.10 and Ephesians 4.24 is a new creation in the likeness of God. For sure there's a mystery as the new man takes up residence and the old man is being put to death. A new self can be put on like an article of clothing and the old man taken off like an article of clothing. The process of mortifying sin, of putting to death the old self, is like taking off an article of clothing. And sometimes this has been described as the already and not yet aspect of our own life in Christ. The already and not yet. The, the be who you are idea, we recognize that we, uh, though redeemed, though God has redeemed many of us in the sound of my hearing, we also recognize that we're we're not perfect people. We, we still stumble and fall in sin. Aspects of our lives are characterized by the old self. 
the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to put to death the old self and to put on the new man. Again, this isn't an exhortation for people to become Christians. Putting on the new self is not to become a Christian. Even as we look at Pilgrim's Progress this day for the first session, uh, there, there are some who are uncertain about at what point does Christian become a Christian. Is it through the wicket gate or is it when he sees the cross and the sepulcher? This is not the occasion of the new birth. The Apostle Paul is commending us to recognize this, what is this new creation? How does it work? Paul has reminded them of this all through this letter. It's the same idea as in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Now that may sound like a contradiction. We're exhorted to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us. God is working and we are working. Because God is working in us, we are to work out our salvation. And you may say, why? Why should we do this? Not only because we're no longer the old self, but because of the character of the old self. It's being corrupted according to the lusts of deceit. It may be hard for us to really believe this. That is the nature of our old selves. Not only that it is unredeemable, but it is truly wicked. That's our old self. Do you believe it? The Apostle Paul said, he cried out to the Lord, Oh, deliver me from the body of death. That was a present request for the glorious redeemed Apostle Paul. Oh, Lord, deliver me from this body of death. Deliver me from the portion of me, of who I am, that is yet corrupt, that I'm dragging along with me, along with this new man that I'm continuously putting on the newness of this new man and continuously putting off the old man. Now, why does this uh, seem so important now? It seems a foregone conclusion that at the new year many think of new things. There's a liveliness in the air that is hopefully catching a goodness about it. There's a sense of renewal, of regeneration. There's this idea that it certainly is appropriate for us to take advantage of. But there's also a danger. Because oftentimes this new that we hope for in the new year has to do with using old materials. 
Not to be crude, but sometimes people think of going to the gym in the new year. They want to sometimes refer to it as converting fat to muscle. That's impossible. You see, because fat isn't simply some portion of our flesh that's standing by ready to be whipped into shape. It's a different thing. Muscle must be developed and fat must be, as it were, put to death. And while perhaps it seems a bit of a crude illustration, nonetheless it is gloriously true. And it's also a good picture of our new life in Christ. You see, we're inclined to think about reforming the old man. You want to pick up the old pieces. You want to repurpose. I, I, I know. I, I, I'm an expert at it. It's not the new life. I reuse things all the time at the farm. You pick up a piece of wood that's got nail holes in it, and I can guarantee you it's been three things before. That's good. But that's not an illustration of the new life in Christ. That's an illustration of repurposing. It's an illustration of, of recycling. New life in Christ is not recycling. When the Lord created the earth, he didn't recycle That's not an admonition not to put the little green bin out front on your day. It's an admonition to understand, right, that when God made you new, it was a new creation. It was a new creation. Henry Scogel wrote a book many, many years ago that was perhaps besides the scriptures, the greatest influence on George Whitfield and John Wesley's life. I call it a book. It's only 46 pages long and the typical 8.5 by 11 PDF documents these days, but it's from Henry Skogel. It's called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. And in it, he makes this statement at the very beginning. As a matter of fact, it's on the second page. He says, there are but too many Christians who would consecrate their vices and follow their corrupt affections, whose ragged humor and sullen pride must pass for Christian severity, whose fierce wrath and bitter rage against their enemies must be called holy zeal, whose petulancy towards their superiors or rebellion against their governors must have the name of Christian courage and resolution. That isn't the new life. You see, we're so inclined to recycle our vices and claim that they are Christian characteristics of the new man, when what should be occurring is that they're being put to death. God has given you an entire lifetime worth of new material, out of which to live your life. When I go build something of wood that's necessary 
at my place, I go and look in the old wood bin. I don't have any new wood at my house. Now, that's not to say that sometimes I need new wood, but nonetheless, I don't go looking for new wood because I don't have any new wood. But the Lord Jesus, with our new life, has given you an entire building and warehouse full of new materials from which to work out of. And yet we want to go back to the old man. What does the scripture say? Verse 24 of Ephesians. Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You don't have to use rusty nails anymore. Shiny new things. You don't have to repurpose your anger, or your devotion to that which you know you shouldn't do. Those things are to be put to death. You have a completely new fountain of living water from which to pull your actions of the new life, put on just like a garment. And that is something in all of our daily experience. How easy is it to put on your trousers or a skirt? I know socks are more difficult. Putting on a garment. The renovation began in us with our new birth as a creation out of nothing, that which only God can do. The old man isn't turned into a new man. Does that surprise you? You say, well, God is very scrappy. He uses new materials created out of nothing. He didn't use the old parts created. Let's focus just simply on a few words here created what is this newness what is it we thought about it what is this newness we see in our text that this new self is created with the old self there is death and decay and with the new self there is a creation out of nothing Peter indicates in chapter uh, 1 verse 4 in 2nd Peter that we're partakers of the divine nature think of it those of you who are redeemed, this new life, this new creation, you, you are partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. You know, when I was born, and as a young man, I looked just like my mother. But as I began to get older, I began to look like my father. That isn't abnormal, right? 
we are partakers of the divine nature, and as we put on the new self, right, we began to look like who? Our Father. Why is that? Because He is our Father in heaven. We have been given the divine nature. This is hard to grasp. Are we people who are merely trying to be a little better than our neighbors? That's not the new life. When John Wesley and George Whitfield, they when they looked at Henry Skogel's book, The Life of God and the Soul of Man, they they looked at that book and they read that book, as was the case in so many in the 17th century in Great Britain. They looked at that book and they said, We are religious men. We are moral men. We are good men. But we don't have this. We don't have the life of Christ. We are not experiencing the new creation. They didn't even understand the new birth. But that shouldn't surprise us because one of the teachers of Israel, Nicodemus, came to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus said that this new life is like being born again. And Nicodemus had no idea what he was talking about. It's this new creation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if any be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creature. This new creation. You know, the apostle John begins the gospel of John with this same idea, this newness, this beginning. It's these words that certainly should hearken back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where, where God is creating, creating out of nothing. And then he gets to mankind and it says that they're created after the image of God, in the likeness of God. What else was created in that way? Nothing. Nothing else was created after the likeness of God. That's the same words, those are the same words that are used here in our passage in Ephesians 4.24 to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. This likeness, this image is absolutely untrue for the mountains and the hills, for the rivers. It's absolutely untrue for the most glorious of the animals. I've never seen one of those giant trees in California. But I would love to see one of those. And even in all of their magnificence, they're not created in the image of God. Only man. Only mankind. Only the men and the women only Adam and Eve, they were created in the likeness of God. But what does that mean? Well, in the original creation, what that means is that mankind isn't this picture that you see in the tabloids and depicted on television. He was originally made in the likeness and the image of God. Of course, man isn't God. He hasn't made us to be God. That is a horrifying perversion 
of the Scriptures. One of which a very popular false church attends to. But we're made in the likeness of something that is essential in God. The unique aspect about humans is this image which distinguishes him from the animals. Man has this spiritual and moral image. The intellect, the will, the self-awareness are all unique to humanity. The power to reason and to think. Even the apparently most lofty of God's creatures cannot do this. They will never progress to this point where they have self-awareness, the power to reason and to think. When mankind was originally created, he had moral and intellectual integrity. He was righteous, holy, and true. When man fell, some of these marks were still distinguishable but the image of God in man was defaced. But this new creation in Christ, this goes beyond this creation of Adam and Eve. It is a new thing. But it's also a mysterious thing. As we try to wrap our minds around this new creation in Christ and then also of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. These are different things. The self-awareness is critical when we begin getting serious about putting the old self to death and truly living out of the new man in union to Christ. As redeemed people, all of our sins and failures have their roots in the fact that we're not living as the one in whom God has created the new self. Only as we understand this can we be capable of putting on the new self. With the new birth being like a divine seed, as Nicodemus found out in John 3, like being born again. We're familiar with the passage in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus by night and he wants to understand. What is he talking about? What is this thing of redemption? It's about being born again. Now we'll... Of course, uh, Lord willing, get to this in the future as we look hopefully next week, perhaps at Colossians chapter 3, when we are looking at this putting off and putting on. But nonetheless, it would be important for us to understand certain aspects about this new creation. There are things that are markedly different from that creation of Adam and Eve. You know that Adam and Eve were created as fully mature human beings. As new creations in Christ were described over and over again in the scriptures as infants. That is part of our human experience. All of us were born as infants. 
no surprise, our spiritual birth is also to infancy. Now, why would that be important? Well, it marks one of the most significant problems in the Christian life. The assumption that with the new birth, we're fully mature. Sometimes we act mature. Sometimes we speak in a very mature way. That's part of our common experience. We have a simple phrase that is known by other names in other places. It's called being too big for your britches. We all understand what that means, but we might not think that it applies to our new life in Christ. But why wouldn't it? Because putting on the new man is like putting on an article of clothing. But perhaps we should think of it if we want to pursue the article of clothing idea is we're thinking about the winter time and not the summer when there's only a few articles of clothing that go on. But in the winter time, there's one pair of socks and then there's the second pair of socks and then there's the under your trousers and then there's the over your trousers and then there's the shirt and the sweater and then there's the coat and there's the hat and there's the muffs and there's the gloves. That's putting on the new man. If we're going to continue to liken it like an article of clothing, it can't be the flip-flops and shorts because there's so much more that he has for us. So much more. This assumption that with the new birth we're fully mature. We run into problems because often there's an ambivalence toward real learning. There's an inflation of what we know. There's lacking the ability to discern truth from error. There's living in an infantile understanding of the Christian life. And then there's the reaping of the consequences as well. It is a new creation. Shiny. Beautiful. In union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps we could also liken it to the earth that Adam and Eve inherited. It might interest you to know that the earth that Adam and Eve inherited was perfect but it wasn't fully developed sometimes when we think of perfection we think of full development when most of you were born your parents said isn't she perfect isn't he perfect you know that didn't mean that you were fully developed. We're a new creation. Now, let's look further at our passage here in verse 24. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
I don't do this very frequently, but I would like to recommend to you that we could gain a better understanding of this section of the verse were we to see in created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. In righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's actually the New American Standard translation. And that certainly seems to be closer to the depth of understanding that we can have here. The new life is characterized by truth. What's the old life characterized by? Well, that would take us to verse 22, where we would also perhaps be better off seeing that the old life was characterized, were I to read it, by the corruption of desires that are deceitful. The old life is characterized by deceit. The new life is characterized by truth. It's characterized by truth. Now, this isn't truth as opposed to lying. This is truth as the body of what the Lord has for us to know. It's knowledge of the truth. The righteousness, which is a right ordering, a right understanding, and therefore a right living, and holiness being set apart holy from sin. This holiness and righteousness are of the truth. Of the truth. As the old self is of deceit. It's wrong living. It's a wrong understanding. Colossians 3.10 says, Put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This really gets at the sense of verse 24, I think, as well in Ephesians 4.24. This idea, uh, the righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul is indicating that the new life is entirely governed by the truth. Righteousness and holiness are produced by truth. We grow by truth. This is truth as in biblical knowledge, right understanding, the foundation of the church, which is biblical doctrine with Christ as the cornerstone. The truth. Consider John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then perhaps 
you could turn to John chapter 17. And you could see what it is that the Lord Jesus prays for the redeemed in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. What does that mean? Who is the Lord Jesus praying for here? Is verse 17 here? Is that... Um, a request from the Savior? That many would be redeemed? We can certainly see the Lord Jesus having compassion on the many and hoping for their redemption. But that isn't what he's praying for here. He's praying for the same thing that the Apostle Paul is commending in Ephesians 4.24. This idea that we're putting on the new self by the righteousness and holiness that comes about by the truth. Now, one of the greatest tragedies in evangelicalism today is an undue, really, frankly, an unbiblical emphasis on justification. If I focus on my justification, then I don't have to have anything to do with the truth of God. I can be ambivalent toward something like reading the Bible. And that is what we have experienced and seen in our culture. Because there's no understanding. They have, they have brought together what it is that God has actually separated. They've rejected the whole Christ. The whole Christ. Not only the Christ of justification, but the Christ of putting on the new self by taking in the truth. If you were to ask the proverbial man on the street today where he's saved, he would likely speak of it in past tense. I did that. I did that. He would often also speak of it as something that he did. Justification is only a portion of this fullness of the whole Christ that is given to us by way of our redemption and union with the Lord. Justification is something that we have 
nothing to do with. We, we don't even typically refer to it in biblical terms. Because justification is more like being, having something done to us. It isn't that we found God, it's that God found us. What a glorious thing. When Lazarus came out of that tomb, it wasn't because he heard Jesus say, get up. It's because he was made alive by the Master. New life. New life. But what is this putting on of the new self? It is being sanctified in truth. You see, we think about the fullness of what it is of the biblical record even, that what it is that God has given to us to that we might be sanctified in truth, and it involves us being in this continual process of being taught the things of God. This is putting on the new. Teachableness is critical to the new life. Critical to the new life. We do have much to do with that. But again, have you pondered the new life? Have you pondered this new creation? Have you thought about the way that God made the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the animals and everything of nothing? Have you thought about that? And have you thought about that, that new creation also being true about you if you're redeemed, that he has made a new thing in you and placed it in union with the Lord Jesus Christ? I encourage you to be so excited about that today and to ponder the goodness of our God in creation and to long for it. If you, like John Wesley and George Whitfield, before God used that great book of Henry Scogel's, if you are listening and you hear about this new life and you recognize, you know what? I don't have that. I don't know what that is. It's a new creation. And the Lord Jesus says that if we're truly willing to have it, as old Bunyan says through Christian, then he's truly willing to give it. Let's pray. Father, may we be of all people, those who rejoice in the new creation in Christ. That which you do by coming to us in redemption. This new creation. And that we see that which follows is putting on the new man and putting off the old man. We pray you would help us in that. And may it be with rejoicing that we look to you even now. In Jesus' name, amen.